Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans design the world. My name is Ravi, and with me, as always, I'm Luigi. Luigi, awesome. Luigi. And today we're talking about the hottest stories in design, Nike's laceless shoes, uh, how drones are mapping the ocean floor, and what it takes to kill a brand. But before that, Luigi, should we talk about the ongoing rumors surrounding Apple and Hyundai? Of course, yeah. So what happened was, for those of you who don't know, Ming-Chi Kuo. Who's Ming-Chi Kuo, Ravi? Um, like so he's, he's not, he's not <laughs> our friend. Maybe, maybe he could be. So but. basically, Ming-Chi Kuo is somebody who's like really, really good at... Um, he seems to get a lot of the leaks right from Apple. Yeah. Um, and I haven't researched him directly, uh, but what I've heard is that he's got great sources in the supply chain because uh, he's located, I think it's in China. Um, so he's got great insight into what's going on there. Uh, and because of that, he tends to get a lot of his leaks right. So what he says, if he if he comes out with a whole... I, I'm pretty sure also he's an analyst um, for like a big investment firm uh, around Apple. So what he says actually tends to be pretty well regarded um, and is someone we should pay attention to. Yeah, so basically he corroborated the latest rumors that Apple and Hyundai are working together on a on an electric car. So what happened is, so Hyundai created in about, about I believe it was 2020, beginning of 2020, they basically created this basic platform for, for electric vehicles that basically had four wheels, bunch of batteries and suspension. Um, and I guess it was a, like an open source, it's not open source that anyone can use it, but it's anyone can put a chassis on top of it and brand it, right? It's like a wide label uh, electric vehicle. They call um, it a skateboard, right? Uh, I'm not sure how they call it. Yeah, Could I think be. they call it a skateboard. Yeah. Like that whole kind of methodology because all the batteries are at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. You got that part. <laughs> yeah, they, they could call it the skateboard. I, I'm really not sure. But what is interesting here is that he has corroborated that Apple is, is going to potentially launch an electric vehicle. And what I want to discuss with you is what that would mean for the electric vehicle market and future. I'm quite bullish on apple uh i think it will go up and i think that pretty much if you look at like stock market go apple, up or yeah, yeah stock market go up um but i'm not sure whether this actually leads to kind of long-term success for apple i think in terms of what apple is good at great design um simple user interfaces great execution uh reliability as well um those are things that the car industry is not well known for Mm-hmm. And I think that this move, if it does happen, will be perceived as something that's really strong. And I think they can do make some really interesting innovation there. They've already changed the way that certainly I interact with cars with Apple CarPlay, which we might go into in a bit. Um, however, I'm not sure whether this works out in the long term because the car industry is complicated. Um, it's very, very tough. Um, and I think that there are a lot of things that you have to do that are outside of your control, uh, i.e. purchasing components from suppliers. Uh, and every car company does this. Porsche, Ferrari, um, you know, VW. You can name any car brand. They source a lot of their components from suppliers. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm not sure whether Apple's kind of skill set or, or track record in areas like vertical integration and things like that will apply super well here. And I think they might struggle with that. Um, so I think in the long term it might not even work out, uh, but yeah, that's kind of my uh, I'm, my I, initial. I, I might my initial slightly disagree with you. So this is this is where I'm coming from. So I believe that a company like Tesla with massive momentum has showed us that 
the car industry is not unbreakable. Um, you can you can become a big player without being one. And I think Apple, what Apple has shown us is most of the time, okay, there, there might be some exceptions, but whenever they enter to a market, it marks the beginning of an era usually. And I think Apple going into the EV market might be really good for the industry, marking that, that time where we moved from diesel to actual bigger percentage of electric cars. On the other side is if Tesla, one of the things, I don't want to be the Tesla guy here, right? But I, they're just a good example. They have showed us that a car is not four wheels with a computer. It's a computer with four wheels, okay? And, and the big guys are, are saying, okay, we have a car, let's put a computer, computing power, we make it more interesting, we can track GPS, whatever. But it's actually not true. So if you focus on the computing power that allows you to have like self um, autonomous driving or, or, or better integration and you can connect it with different devices and then you add four wheels to it, then, then that's, that, that's what makes it really good. And I think Apple has the power to do it. Apple has the computer pow computing power, the know-how, and, and the cheap manufacturing process that would allow them to make a really good car. Cheap, cheap manufacturing process. Are you, surely they're getting Hyundai involved to do the manufacturing. That's, you know, for me, they're not leveraging that strength that they have. And it's not even a strength they have. They obviously subcontract all of their, um, all of their assembly. Once they announced or this rumor came out that they will be making this, this, I don't know if you have heard these rumors of the, the, this manufacturing side that Apple uses in China. Yeah, Foxconn. Yeah, exactly, Foxcom. So their stock went up like 15% once they announced that, like, I don't know, like a month ago when, when the rumor came out. Mm -hmm. They might outsource some of the manufacturing process, but I think they, they will control part of it. I don't think they will perfection, they won't, they won't leave the perfection of creating an Apple car, which is, it's a massive deal. It's like a new full product, right? It's, I think it's, it might be even bigger than the iPad. I, f I think it, I mean if it comes off it will certainly be bigger than the iPad like yeah dimensions wise um, yeah, no absolutely but I, they won't leave that responsibility to Hyundai which might not have the, the but this is but this is my point but even even car companies get other car companies to pay to 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 assemble their cars and they just pay a fee they, they subcontract that as well that happens in the car industry and I just feel like you know because there is so much I just feel like it's a very, very complicated uh, industry to get into. It's one that's very well developed. The number of players in it are just going down all the time. Uh, of course, you've got EV startups and stuff like that, but the general trend has been consolidation within that industry because it's been mm -hmm. about reducing costs um, and strengthening, you know, your supply chain pretty much, and and you know, negotiating better rates for components and stuff like that. I really, I just feel like this will be seen as a great kind of move by Apple. And, you know, I hope it pays off, but I don't think it will be. And, and you know, that's just talking about the product. But actually, I think the way that people use cars and the way that, you know, the kind of service of cars is considered has to be redesigned uh, and, and might even be rethought just as this car is getting to market. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Apple car comes along with like a new business plan or, or, or strategy behind it. I mean, basically what I'm thinking is, Luigi, how old are you? 23. You're 23, okay. How many driving lessons have you taken? Zero. Zero, okay. So you're 23, you haven't learned to drive. Yeah. I'm 22 and I haven't learned to drive either. Would you say you're interested in cars? I would say so, yeah. Would you say that you're interested in getting from one place to another? Yeah. Okay, cool. So you have that need. You have a tiny bit of a passion for cars, yet you still haven't learned to drive. A little bit like myself. And why do you do that? Because 
you are familiar with taking public transport, you're familiar with taking Ubers. I I think that this car, if slash when it comes to market, is more likely to be a service than it is likely to be a product. Uh, and actually, I hope it's more of a service than it is a product. I think that aligns way more with Apple's kind of strategy of thinking about how they can, um, thinking about how they can, you know, create recurring revenue and 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 service-based revenue instead of product-based revenue. That, that's a really interesting point. So I think some something that I have been thinking about lately is that in the future we we definitely won't have cars. We won't own cars. It's just gonna be like a fleet of cars that will you just book your own Uber and let's say autonomous vehicle will come over. Let's say one person, so it's very compact. Will drop you whatever it needs to drop you, and then it will go off. So I'm not sure we are there yet. I think. You're right. Yeah, but, I think we're going to get there at some point. I don't know if the, this is a product. Yeah, but this is it. This is the perfect. It might be a mix of the two. Like the, this is the perfect. The perfect analogy here is the um, is the iPod, right? Mm-hmm. Was it an innovative product? Yes. Was it, um, you know, beautifully designed? Yes. Did it have great user experience? Yes. What was the true innovation in that era? The iTunes store. The iTunes, yeah. yeah. So, and, and that was a change in the business models. That was a change in the way that they went and thought about how they got revenue and it was a way of, it was totally changing the user experience that the, the entire service of music was changed by iTunes. Um, and I think that we're looking for, well, we're not looking for it, but I think we can expect a similar kind of revolution from from um, from Apple here with the car. Cool. Well, we'll see. All right. Do you want to move on? Yeah, Next let's one. move on. Let's move on to um, Nike's latest shoes uh they're called the uh, nike go fly ease uh sneaker um these look awesome uh, i don't know how to describe it what i will say is that um it's knitted yeah uh which is the kind of material that seems to be kind of in vogue when it comes to shoes right now uh but it's got a really really cool design and when they're off they actually look a little bit like um like slippers for me like I'm slippers yeah but but for me, they look like Iron Man armor in the sense that they're made of inter- they're made of mm. panels that go over and slide over each other. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, and and for me, the innovation here is um, the fact that you can actually put these on without laces. So the story behind this is the story behind these are really really interesting. Um, there was a teenager with cerebral palsy, um, and he basically um, wanted to. He he was like he was actually going to college, and he wasn't so. He wasn't feeling so confident about uh, like tying his shoes, um, like kind of away from home because he was quite he was quite worried about that. And actually, he ended up working with Nike to collaborate on these pair of shoes. So these shoes don't require you to lace them up. Mm-hmm. And what they've got, they've kind of got like a, a hinge uh, in the uh, just ahead of the heel. So kind of where like the arch of your foot would be, there's a hinge. And when the shoes are off, the hinge is like. Uh, it's like bent. It's mm-hmm. like a triangle with a point pointing upwards. And then when you slide your foot into that hole and you kind of compress the hinge, then that hinge flattens out and you've got a nice flat bottom to your pair of shoes. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, I think these are really awesome. What, what do you think? I think I think the innovation here is that the flexibility of of the shoe and, and it's kind of like modular uh, in the sense that once you take it off, the, the, food, the, the, the shoe will actually flip apart, as you said, with the hinge. And then it has this sort of elastic that keeps everything in place and adjusted. And I think that's that's the great innovation here. Uh, I really admire. So Tinker Hatfield, I'm not sure how involved he was in this project, but Tinker Hatfield is basically, uh, he has a really interesting story and, and documentary, but he was basically the, the designer of most of like Nike's Air Max and Nike's Jordans. 
he he was involved in most of these designs um it was a, he's an amazing designer and he's the one who started the nike innovation lab and he he has a really interesting story apparently um he joined us as like an athlete who was testing uh, Nike's shoes and uh, he had a knee injury and he couldn't who couldn't do it anymore so he just worked part-time at Nike's just testing the shoes and then suddenly he just he decided that okay you know what I'll be I'll become a shoe designer I have talent for this I'll just keep working on it and he kind of like learned on the spot and he became one of the of the most iconic shoe designers ever and I think I think what's great to to kind of um, the the for me the takeaway here as as a designer the learning here is that um, you know people kind of sometimes make the mistake of and this is something we've been talking uh, about at work actually quite recently I think people make the mistake of assuming that accessible for design is for people who need accessibility if you know what I mean so like that actually yeah. you know these these products might only be for kids like Matthew who was who was the person who kind of collaborated with Nike on this people with cerebral palsy but actually I think if you can make accommodations often those accommodations make a better product for everyone uh, and not just people mm-hmm. with certain conditions um, so I think um, for me that's that's the absolute learning here and actually um, kind of my thought on this is actually that these look like the perfect shoe for COVID-19 uh, apparently the team were inspired by um, the idea that you wouldn't have to touch like a dirty surface in order just to take off your shoes. Um, but yeah. actually, but actually for me, these look like the perfect kind of in-house shoes. Um, and uh, just the idea of like, just, oh, I'm just about to go to bed. Let me just slip these off in a really, really easy motion without having to bend down. Um, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Cause I, I don't know about you, but I actually prefer to wear shoes in the house because um I know, I know it brings dirt in and things like that. And I try and change my shoes when I get inside the house. But for me, it keeps me in like a work mindset. And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not chilling right now. I've got my shoes on. Not for me. I, I do wear slippers sometimes. So are you wearing socks or slippers well, right, right now? now? I'm in the bed, so I, I wear, I wear slippers. So I don't wear slippers, but yeah. Anyway, cool. I, I'm really excited to see this ones in the market. I don't think they are up for sale yet, but we'll expect, we'll expect them to be soon. Um, I hope I hope I hope they yeah, do. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope they, these these are the first pair of like Nike shoes that I've wanted to own. <laughs> and Ravi doesn't like to own many things, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, they should come as a service. Every time you wear them, well, yeah, you <laughs> pay out, you pay a fee. Everything. All right. Or or or, or actually, they should do uh, higher ones, which they um like like with a sole that's like two or three inches high, and it could become a platform. Why? No. Do you get it? All right. Well, maybe some of us. <laughs> yeah, right, let's move let's on. Move on. <laughs> all right. Um, Seldron Surveyor. So, what's this? So, Seldron is a really interesting company that pretty much makes drones for the sea. Their goal is that the planet Earth is seventy percent water, and basically, we know more about the Moon and Mars than what we know about our oceans. So, what this company is trying to do, what happens is that in order for you to learn about the ocean, you used to have to send a massive ship that will take about 12 months and do, do you have to pay a massive crew to do a trip and maybe take some data points. Then these data points, once they're collected, they will be sent back and it's just a massive and lengthy process. And then you analyze, etc. What this people do in this company, Celdron, is they basically created very, imagine that you can divide all the, the, the planet Earth into one kilometer square cubes or or squares Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what if you could put one drone in each square in the ocean 
and this they will monitor real time what's going on in the ocean. They will be able, using LiDAR scanners and sonars, they will be able to map and predict currents. Um, for It's better for fishing, so you can fish the right amount and not har harm the environment when you're fishing. Uh, it's also good to predict um, tsunamis and, and may other, other climate change uh, conditions that might affect certain areas in the world. So what they're planning to do is they already launched very small vehicles that I, I had the opportunity to see and they, they were amazing. They're basically self-sustained. They use solar energy and wind and they basically, they can use the wind in the ocean to guide themselves around the, around the sea. So they, they need no motors, uh, which, is, which is really crazy. Um, but now they launched this 22 meter long ship, mm -hmm. which will allow them to do much longer missions um, around the, the globe. If if they're autonomous, why surely like what would be the kind of the limiters for, for like how long the ship can be out? Because it doesn't need food, it doesn't need fuel, it doesn't need a charge because it's got solar panels on it. What does it need to to? And presumably it sends its data off wirelessly. So why does it need to? Why can it only be out for that, a certain amount of time? Is that's a very good, good question. I think a lot of it it comes to maintenance. Number one, number two gotcha. will come to. I think, yeah, it's, they're, very, they're autonomous and so on, but some of the devices inside might have limited uh, first storage or, or it, of course, it has a battery in case, in case solar or wind doesn't work out or, or something happens to one of these components. Mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. one of my takes. And the other one is, as they are small, the ones that they currently have, they can't really be everywhere in the ocean. Like, they might get lost or, or they might get broken right, by right. some currents and storms. Um, nice. So that's one one challenge that they have. Yeah. Is so what is interesting here is that we're going into a world where imagine just getting real time data on, and they actually have an, an app that it's a weather app, um, and and you just get pretty much real time data, and you can pinpoint on which sail drone you are you're getting the data from and stuff, which is really cool. That's very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really really awesome. That's really interesting. When when you because you did, you've been to their offices, right? Yeah, so they're based in San Francisco, and I, I had the chance to be to go there when they were building the very first uh, sm the smaller sail drones. When when you were talking to them, did they ever mention kind of like the defense applications or something like this? Yeah, they actually they actually have uh, um, a lot of partnerships with NASA and NOAA and uh, different environmental applications as well. In terms of the army, they never did mention anything. I'm sure they have been in contact with them, but that's not their intention, at least from what I hear. Yeah, no, the, not, the, yeah. The, re the reason why I ask it is because um, I'm currently listening to a, po a podcast um, about life and work aboard the HMS Enterprise, which is a, U okay. a UK Navy ship, British Navy yeah. ship. And, um, I'm, and I say I'm listening to a podcast. I'm listening to one singular episode of this podcast because this podcast episode is eight hours long. Um, oh, it's wow. a really, nice. it's a really <laughs> like, it's a very, very long podcast, and basically, and here we are guy... talking for thirty minutes, and we think, oh, it's too long, Ravi. <laughs> All right, literally, I've been listening to it for several years, like when I'm exceptionally bored and there's no other podcast, and I come back to it. But it's actually really good. It's by um, it, it, the podcast is called Amiga Tau, and it's episode two seventy seven. In case you're interested, uh, but basically, this interviewer goes on board this ship and is living there for like a couple of weeks, and he's doing like interviews with. Uh, the crew and stuff like that and what's interesting about this ship is that it's an ocean uh, mapping vessel and you think mm -hmm. you know what is the point pretty much um of that 
why does it need that kind of thing and actually for like apparently for like defense reasons it's actually really important to have really good data of uh kind of the waters surrounding you or in strategic areas like just depth and yeah. uh, currents and stuff like that and that's that can provide you a real edge um and it just and basically what they have to do is they have to like you said take a big ship full of people uh, and like highly trained um british navy crew go to a spot and then start doing a grid uh like traveling along a grid and then uh dropping lines to to measure things like that and it's, it feels like if these guys can do that autonomously that is a perfect job for you know autonomous drones and actually i think could have incredible i guess defense yeah applications. absolutely yeah and the thing is uh, the ocean is, is such a a harsh environment for everything for life for for ships and everything and it keeps changing every time so the data that you get in one year it might be 100 percent different the year after and with yeah. global warming like it, it it accelerates that change right so if you can have and get real-time data with just these things and actually know what's going on in the world it's, it's incredible so i'm really looking forward to see what how it evolves and and what else there they they plan to do well, you know what they say, you can't manage what you can't measure. No, and, uh, and, and as Atkins said uh, from a previous episode of Design by Us, analysis without data is just an opinion. That's very true. That's very true. Very <laughs> so, true, yeah. friend Akin. I don't have a professor and... who's called Akin. Do you think it might be him? Could be. Could be, yeah. I'm going to reach out and ask him. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. Um, well, there, I think actually speaking of things you can't you can't measure, but... Um, people certainly try to manage uh, brands. Brands, um, it's and, the... and well, what do you think? Can you, can you, can you, can you measure a brand? Yeah, I mean Scott Galloway, big fan of of Design Bios, of course. Uh, he says uh, today in a, in an in anyway, he keeps saying that brand is basically uh, perceived value and and everything that makes a user to make irrational decisions. So it's all the actions and. And things you do with your company uh, can you measure brand I think you can yeah you can definitely measure brand mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. you can measure the 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 shareholder and stakeholder value that your brand drives mm-hmm. interesting I think I think um, I think brands are like the Higgs boson like you can't observe it directly but you can observe its effects on other things it's, yeah yeah. like like on, on on like customers i think i'd be i think that's quite a good an- analogy um i think you know it's difficult to kind of quantify it but what you can do is you can measure that effects at least those effects at least in, in my opinion and you can see when people are really really angry at your brand uh like the users of robin hood are so uh robin hood um is a retail trading app um out of the states um it's been kind of it's been on a kind of meteoric rise uh, over the last few months and years, I'm sure many of our listeners of the show will, will do that and be, uh, will, will be aware of Robinhood. Um, and what it allows you to do is purchase stocks and shares. Um, may, I think it also allows you to do currency as well mm-hmm. um, and kind of other financial instruments um, in your in your household brand name. So things like if I wanted to buy some Apple stock and I was based in the, in the US, I might actually use Robinhood to, to go ahead and do that and execute that trade for me. Um, What's interesting right now is what's happened uh, with Robinhood and with uh, GameStop. Um, essentially, GameStop was a stock that was shorted by a bunch of um, hedge fund traders, uh, a community on Reddit, um, who were using the Robinhood app to execute their trades. Um, this is a long-winded story. Please bear with me, listeners. So basically, the the uh, the Redditors who were using the Robinhood app actually figured out, hey, 
Uh, this stock is massively shorted and because of financial reasons that actually presented a really massive buying opportunity where they could really uh, basically do what's called a short squeeze uh, to those hedge fund traders um, and kind of make them feel a little bit of pain and potentially make themselves a lot of money in the process of doing that. Um, we're not going to get into the financials of that. We're not going to get into whether they're right or whether they're wrong or whatever. What we are going to get into is the fallout that Robinhood experienced uh, when they actually decided to uh, slow down uh, trading um, and actually uh, limiting the trading of uh, stocks in GameStop uh, and a AMC. Um, and pretty much that really pissed off their users who were using Robinhood uh, in order to go and uh, execute those trades and, and kind of carry out this mission uh, that many people seem to be on right now. Yeah, I mean, it comes to to why does Robinhood exist? So, so basically, look, uh, Luigi, you kind of just quickly explained what a brand is, right? But another way of thinking about it um, is that a brand is a promise. It's a promise you make to your users, um, and if you execute on your promise, so Luigi, if I say to you, I'm going to sell you a chocolate bar, uh, and then uh, that's really tasty, and you buy that chocolate bar and you eat it, and you're like, wow, that's a really tasty chocolate bar, then actually, I fulfilled my promise, and because I fulfilled my promise. Uh, you are generating expectations about me. And that's kind of like one way of thinking about a brand and this virtuous cycle. Robin Hood, with their name, with their tagline, um, with their kind of user experience, created a brand promise of, hey, we're going to make it really easy for you to, to uh, trade stocks, right? Robin Hood, literally somebody who stole from the rich and gave to the poor. Um, their their stated the mission was... The hedge funds, no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and their stated mission was de democratizing stock investing. Um, so are you giving more people access to the market? And um, once that was taken away, they were kind of doing actions that were t totally misaligned to their brand promise. Um, and because of that, people are very angry. Man, Ravi, what a great explanation. Much better than, <laughs> than what I was trying to do. Um, like, why would Robinhood be able to stop other people from trading their platform, right? I know they have the right to do so and they don't want to lose money and they, they the reason why you make these regulations is just to protect to to avoid volatility like when it happened with COVID nineteen and to protect the, the first investors and also the companies and avoid any massive loss in the short term. So why would, would Robinhood do that? Is I would say that Robinhood and other trading apps, right? Is Robinhood wasn't the only one. I believe Revolut did it as well. And my point being here is that I think we need some, with technology expanding, and this comes with, with trading, but it also will come with AI and maybe autonomous driving in the future, and perhaps even getting to Mars. We need our our political, and I know you. I keep saying this all the time, but I, I, it's a massive debate that I keep having with people that study this stuff. We need political institutions to adapt and create policies before it's too late for all of this all of this new new technologies coming up i mean yes and no but who could have seen this coming like genuinely i mean i'm certain i'm certain they didn't have the need government is not losing money that's my take mm, uh, i'm not i'm not so convinced on that take i mean if you look at uh, you know marco rubio and aoc agreeing with each other about how bad this is i think particularly in the states there's always a protection of the investor and and making sure that you know, it's capitalism, right? It's people who allocate capital should be protected. That That's the ideal. And I think, yes, like the bigger players are there, but also I think you are seeing a lot of cross, I mean, this isn't a US politics show, but you're seeing a lot of um, 
collaboration across party lines on this issue. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that kind of bodes quite well. I mean, but AOC, AOC is an exception. She's she's a badass person, and uh, badass human being. So hundred percent. But she's just one outlayer. Marco Rubio, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to think about him. But sorry, it was Ted Cruz. It was Ted. Uh, Cruz, Ted, I think. Ted Cruz. Ted yeah. Cruz. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I feel they're just outlayers that come from from politics in general, not just US, but in general. But anyway, I'm not a politician, so I'm not the one to talk. I'm just calling out there. There should be, and, and as Arjun said a few episodes ago, it's it's not just up for politicians to decide. I think this conversation should be with AI experts and 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 other. I mean, when when it comes when and whenever someone creates an AI tool that allows you to predict the market and you can monetize that, and the government doesn't know until they know, they're probably going to start regulating AI as well. I don't know. Mm. Oh, I don't know about that, mate. Because, like, if you look at... Oh, I don't know. I'm not qualified like, to talk about this. Yeah, I'm not qualified either. What, what I'm saying is that tools are there, and I think they need to be regulated at some point. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, anyway. Yeah, on that cheery note, I think it's probably time to uh, say goodbye to our wonderful listeners. Uh, Luigi, wh- where can people find out more about the show? So you can find us in two ways. So, number one, Twitter. If you want to stay up... Keep up the conversation and follow us on Twitter at designedbyus underscore FM. You can follow Ravi by... By going to my Twitter, uh, at Ravi is occupied. And myself, Luigi underscore Dintrono. But if you're really, if you're really interested and you, you enjoy what you're listening to, you have to do two things. Number one, you have to share it with someone else. And number two, you can go to our Patreon and just support the podcast as all, all the funds that we recollect are going to be just putting into the show again just to make the quality of each episode and production much better each time. So thank you very much. See you next time. Peace.